Hey, good morning, church. You guys doing good? I uh, just want to encourage you, as Chase did, that you are loved this morning, right? Um, and, and here's the cool part about this is that if we're in Christ, that means that we are held in the hand of a sovereign God who is in complete control of everything. Um, the Bible even says that no one can take us out of his hand. Like he has us. Um, and, and no matter what comes, what we face, man, it is, uh, it's good to know that we are in the hands of God who loves us, who cares for us, who makes a way for us in all things. And so um, I'm encouraged by that this morning. I hope you are as well. Um, today, we are actually going to be starting a new series. It's called Our House. Um, and, and here's the thing. Obviously, this is God's house, his people. But I want us to think about this from this perspective, that every house, every family has values. They have things that are important to them. Uh, you come to my house, there are things that we value, things that are important. Every house has this. And I believe that God has called for his house to have certain values, certain things that are important. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at in this series, things that we know the Lord has called us to, um, to be about as a family. That's what we are, right? Um, we are a family, a community of believers uh, that God has called, that God has anointed, that God has empowered to transform the world. And I believe we can do that, not in our own ability, but through God's ability. We can live out the values that God calls us to through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can live together in unity and love through the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing I want to talk to you about today is one of the values that has been the same since day one has never changed. And that is this, that it is all about Jesus, not about anything else. And because of that, we as a family are going to refuse fake religion, we're going to refuse self-promotion. And we do this so that the gospel of Christ can be clearly demonstrated and declared, right? It is all about Jesus. And that's what motivates us to do what we do. Today, if you will, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Realize that's not probably the first book you go to, but if you go into the Old Testament, uh, you know, go to the right there from Genesis, Exodus, all those. If you get to the prophets, you went too far. Go back left. But Second Chronicles chapter 24. I just want to read the first three verses. It may seem strange that we're looking at Second Chronicles, an Old Testament book, to talk about Jesus, right? That it's all about Jesus. But two things. One is remember every word of this book, the Bible, points us to Christ. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, it is all pointing us to Jesus. The second thing is that the things that are dealt with in Scripture, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, the things that are dealt with in those passages, they haven't really changed. A lot of times people say, you know, well, you know, the Bible is really old. It's outdated. It's antiquated. Those kinds of things. Then I'll go to a passage like in Mark 7 where Jesus talks about uh, the different sins in the world. And I'll read those, that passage and I'm like, does this sound familiar? Because here's the truth. Like, we're still dealing with the same stuff. It hasn't changed. And that's why the Bible is still applicable to our lives today. God knows the heart of man and the heart of man is not changed. The heart of man, according to scripture, is deceitfully wicked above all things. And yet God through Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit gives us a new heart so that we can live out the values he has for us. So second Chronicles 24, um, we're about to read about a king named Joash. Now you go through second uh, Chronicles, it's literally chronicling uh, the ups and downs of Israel, uh, the failures and some slight successes that Israel has, the different kings that come into play um, all the while really pointing us to the future king, Jesus, who will come and finally rule the way God intends uh, his kings to rule. Um, and so we're reading about this. Now in 2 Chronicles 23, 
Um, there's this lady by the name of uh, Athalia. That's what we're going to go with. I've been in my office all morning listening to these Hebrew words, trying to pronounce them. I still can't get them right. I'm too South Georgia, I think, for that. But Athalia, and she gets mad. Her son is killed, and um, he, uh, he's dead, so she gets mad. She begins to go, and she begins to try to wipe out the entire, entire royal family. But they hide this one member of the royal family, this one son. His name's Joash. And Later, they bring him out and present him and everybody celebrates because there's still a remnant. There's one person left that can rule and reign um, from uh, Judah. And so they're excited about this. It's kind of interesting that we're about to read that Joash was seven years old when he became king. That's interesting, right? Um, I had a seven-year-old not too long ago to think about him ruling anything uh, would have been disastrous, right? But Let's read just the first three verses. We're going to read through this as we go today, but let's just read the first three verses, pray, and get into this. It says, Joash was seven years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zabiah. She was from Bathsheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada. That's actually fairly close the priest. Jehoiada makes me think about Arida French fries. I love French fries. That's probably why. But Jehoiada chose two wives for him and he had sons and daughters. So listen, this is, uh, that seems kind of, well, whatever uh, verse, but it's really important because it shows us how much influence this priest had over Joash, right? He had immense influence over his life, even picking his wives. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. Let's stop there. We'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, that you do love us, that you have put the love you have for us into our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And God, because of that, we know we, that's the reason we love you, Lord. Your spirit in us this morning cries out, Abba, Father. Lord, thank you. I thank you that you love us so. Father, I pray this morning for a powerful movement through your word. Would you shake us, God, this morning? Shake us from any apathy, any uh, staleness that may exist in our life in relationship to you. We thank you for your presence here right now. We thank you, God, that those who are in Christ have ears to hear. And God, we thank you that today the Spirit speaks, that he speaks to us through this living word. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. When we were first starting the church, and some of you have been around long enough to, to remember this, but when we were first starting the church, there was an a issue that really bothered me. We were about three months in, and... Um, I had this wrestling in my, just in my spirit with the, the, the passage of scripture where Jesus is going from town to town and he comes to his hometown and says he couldn't hardly do any miracles there except heal a few sick people, which I'm like, that ain't bad, right? And, and he, he says this, he makes this comment. He says, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. And that bothered me so much because when I was uh, 10 years old, we moved to Statesboro. So I pretty much grew up here. This was my hometown. And I'm thinking we're planting a church here in, in the hometown, the place where I grew up. And I wrestle with that. I'm like, God, nobody is gonna wanna listen to me. They have seen the worst of me. They know the worst of me. My family's here. I'm like, nobody's gonna wanna hear what I say, what I have to say. And I wrestle with this. It's like three months in. We've already kind of been going, but, I, but I'm just wrestling. And one night I'm, I'm laying in bed, lights are out. I'm just staring into the darkness. I'm wrestling with this so much. I don't know if you've ever been this way, but I'm literally sweating, like wrestling with this. Uh, it doesn't take much for me to sweat, but still I was sweating. And I'm laying there. I'm like, God, please help me with this. And I saw in my mind, John 4, 44. 
And I thought, well, maybe that's the answer. So I reach over, turn on the lamp, grab my Bible. I go to John 4, 44, and it literally says something like this. It said, Jesus left from there for he knew a prophet is without honor in his hometown. And I was like, I knew it. Screwing up, knew it. Like, you know, Susan, we can't do it. God just confirmed it. And as I'm laying there reading this, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Brandon, if you're in it for the honor, then you're in the wrong place. But if you'll let me have the honor, then you'll be fine. And from that moment on, I had perfect peace, perfect peace. That as long as God was the one being glorified, as long as it was his honor, then we'd be fine. That God would be exalted, that Jesus would be exalted. Here's the thing though that troubles me about this and we can fall into this as well. I don't want to point fingers without looking at ourselves first, right? The problem for us though in the church is that most of what happens in church today, it really isn't about Jesus. A lot of times it is much more about us than it is about Jesus. And this is just the truth. It, it doesn't become more about knowing Christ, growing into Christ, the body of Christ, going and sharing Christ. It becomes much more about us. And see, here's where we have to be careful is not to allow this deception to enter into our life. Where we just drift into a fake religion. We just drift into self-promotion where we put ourselves before God. We put ourselves before man and say, look at what we can do. We kind of live out this hollow existence. See, there's a lot of problems with that type of living. I remember reading a quote from Billy Graham one time that said 95% of what happens in churches could be done without the Holy Spirit. That's sad. I don't know where he got that percentage, but it was Billy Graham. And so here's the thing. We refuse this fake religion of just this hollow existence. We refuse self-promotion because one, it does not glorify God. God is not glorified in that. God is not exalted in that. And see, here's the thing. If I'm exalted, if you're exalted, it really does no good. But when Jesus is exalted, John 12 says this, that he draws all people to himself. When Christ is exalted, when he is magnified, you know what happens when we magnify Jesus, he becomes more clear to other people. In John 12, he says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men, I will draw all people to myself. Here's the other problem with this. This fake religion, self-promotion, this kind of doing things our own way. It, it doesn't change anyone's heart because it can't. Only God, only Jesus, only the power of the Holy Spirit can change someone's hearts. And here's the thing, guys. If hearts aren't changed, then families aren't changed. If families aren't changed, then communities aren't changed. If communities aren't changed, then nations aren't changed. If nations aren't changed, then the world's not changed. We need to be pressing into God and exalting a God who can change hearts so that the world ultimately is filled with the knowledge of his glory. It leads to an ineffective church. Nothing of eternal value happens when Jesus isn't exalted. It also, it gives the church a poor testimony. It gives a poor testimony to Jesus. It gives a poor testimony to the church. Ezekiel 36, 23, Ezekiel said this, speaking of uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, through Ezekiel, God spoke and he said, because of you, my name is blasphemed among the nations. Paul, the apostle Paul writing in Romans, he wrote in Romans chapter two, he quoted that verse. You know, I don't want that to be us, right? That the testimony we give of Christ is not one that glorifies 
that the testimony we give of Christ and, and, and the church is not one that, that magnifies God, that God's name would be blasphemed. But you know, here's the honest truth, y'all. The church has done more to damage the church's reputation than anything else in the world. Than anything else in the world. We have been our own worst enemy when it comes to this. We've led people into disillusionment. People become disillusioned because they think, is this all there is to God? Especially if somebody goes and reads the book of Acts and they read about what God is doing and then they look around and they go, is this really it? Because this doesn't seem to line up. People end up disenfranchised. They walk away because this is, seems to have nothing for me. People end up confused. Because they, maybe they don't know, that, did I really meet Jesus or did I just get manipulated by some slick programming? People are dissatisfied. And see, this is the thing I realized. When we are walking with Christ, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, there is a satisfaction in our lives that, that goes beyond our explanation. There is a contentment that exists that is beyond even circumstances. Jesus told the woman at the well, he's like, the water I give you, look, you can drink this water and you'll never thirst again. Now she thought he was talking about what was in the well, but what he was really talking about was what was in him. And when we draw near to Christ and we're really walking in this relationship with Jesus, there is a satisfaction that does exist. Jesus, it says in John chapter seven, he was at a festival and the last day of this great festival, he stands up and he says, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And it tells us that in this, he meant the Holy Spirit. And I would implore you today, I would beg you today, would you come to Jesus and drink? Would you come to Christ and be filled? Could we quit living in some type of apathetic place where we know God, yeah, but blah, 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 let's go about our life. No, come to him and drink and be satisfied and be filled, be empowered, be encouraged, be emboldened to go. And here's the sad state of it, that the church has been deceived. We've been deceived to think that there's not more. Guys, listen, there is more. I've never been in a time in my life, I don't think, where I want more of God, that I want more of God, that I wanna see God move, that I wanna see God do what only he can do. But we've been deceived in so many ways and the nature of deception is this, we don't know it. If we knew it, it wouldn't be deception. But here's the thing today, guys, we need to expose it. We need to bring it into the light. And if you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 24, I want you to notice something right here. There's a, 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 a similar account to this in 2 Kings chapter 12. But in 2 Chronicles 24, and I'm gonna go back to that in Kings just a second, in just a second, but I want you to notice this. In verse, I can't hardly see anymore. What verse is, that's verse two. It says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada, the priest. Why is that? If you go to 2 Kings 12, you don't have to go there, but I'll just read it to you. It says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. See, all of this begins with God's word. And as long as this priest was there in Joash's life and he's giving him the word, he's telling him what the Lord says, he's giving him this, this word, then he's going in the right direction. But we're gonna see a little later that as soon as Jehoiada was gone, Joash kind of went a totally different direction. Why? Because the word wasn't there. The instruction wasn't there. 
You know what, this, this, is, this is God's revelation to us of himself, but it's also instruction for life. It's instruction to find life. And it begins with his word. How did creation begin? With his word. It begins with his word, guys. Look, we can't neglect this word and think we have life. Jesus said in John 6, 63, he says, my word are spirit and life. How is that? What does that mean? Well, for one, the word of God is living and active because it is infused by the spirit of God. There's power that comes through the spirit. It's living and active. How many of you have ever experienced the the word of God is living and active. Anybody ever experienced you? You went to read the Bible and somehow it read you, right? I remember the first time this happened, like I was, um, had been saved about six months. Susan and I were on our first anniversary trip. We went to Helen, Georgia. Y'all know what's in Helen? Nothing. That's what's in Helen, right? So we... We go to hell and we walk up the street, down the street. I'm like, what we do now? I don't know. So we go back to the hotel room. We went, hey, we go back to the hotel room. It's about nine o'clock. She's asleep. Well, I'm reading my Bible. Been saved about six months. I open my Bible. I go to 1 Corinthians. It's just where I ended up. And I'll never forget this because it was part of what God's used to change my entire life. I start reading 1 Corinthians and the word just exploded. It was like, I started seeing it for the first time. It was like, bam, I was convicted. I was, I was encouraged. I was emboldened. And the word just came alive. Why? Because it's living and active. See, we even come to life through the word. The Bible tells us that it's through the word of God and hearing the message of Christ that we come to faith. And it's through faith that we come to life in Christ, that the spirit is given to us and we come to life. God tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he tells us that all scripture, all scripture is God breathed. You know the the word for breath and the word for spirit are the same? He says all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training so that we'll be prepared to do every work that God has for us. See this living and active word, what it does and what it was doing. I want you to see this, what it was doing through Jehoiada. I don't know how many more times I have to say that, but I, I don't like it. What it was doing through this priest is it was teaching rebuking, correcting, and training this young king in the ways of the Lord. And there was life. There was actually somewhat of a revival that took place amongst this nation of Judah, these these Israelites, these Jewish people. There was somewhat of a revival. And see, the word of God still does that for us. It teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains. And, and we think about teaching, we're like, man, I don't want uh, teaching. But listen, this is life. Rebuking, well, I don't want to be rebuked. You know, sometimes a loving rebuke is the best thing you can get. Correcting. So look at what's happening. God is teaching us his ways. God is rebuking us back to his ways when we get out of his ways. God is correcting us to again walk in his ways and then he trains us so we don't get out of his ways again through his living word. And all of this begins with the living word, a living relationship, not some fake religion, not some some self-promoted kind of thing. But through the word of God, I realize who God is. I come to life and my life then is lived to exalt the true King, Jesus. Listen to verse four in Second Chronicles 24. Sometimes, sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. 
He called together the priests and Levites and said to them, go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all Israel to repair the temple of your God. He said, do it now. But listen to this, but the Levites, now the Levites were the people who were responsible for the temple, right? These were the people who God had given the temple. This is for you to care for. The priests, they came from the Levites. But the Levites did not act at once. Therefore, the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, why haven't you required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and by the assembly of Israel for the tent of the covenant law? Now the sons of that wicked woman, Athaliah, had broken into the temple of God and had used even its sacred objects for the bells. This was a wicked, wicked woman. Listen, at the king's command, a chest, a chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the wilderness. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials, and they saw that there was a large amount of money, the royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. As we look at this, there's something I, I really want you to see. If you read here in Second Chronicles 24, uh, and it's giving this account. There's something that is stated in Second Kings 12 that we need to see, and it's in verse three. It's talking about how Joash did what was right as long as the priest instructed him. But it says in verse three, the high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. And so there's this since when you read this and you see that these Levites didn't act at once, they didn't immediately go. And if anybody should have been excited about the restoration of the temple, it should have been the Levites. The people are still going and worshiping at these high places when God had clearly um, declared in his word that worship was to happen at the temple in Jerusalem. And so this is still going on. And if we're going to not exist in this fake religion, if we're going to um, not live in a place of self-promotion and doing what we can do ourselves, then we have to come to a place where we refuse the status quo around us. See, there was this mediocrity that existed. Even in this somewhat of a revival, there was just still this, this kind of mediocrity. The Levites are dragging their feet. The people are still worshiping in ways that they're not supposed to. There's just, just mediocrity. And see, here's the challenge for us. In the South, existing in fake religion is as natural for people as swimming in water is for a fish. Existing in fake religion, even in self-promotion and what I can do, it is as natural for people as swimming in water is for a fish. And like that fish, listen, fish doesn't even realize it's wet. Fish doesn't know anything else. Doesn't even realize he's living in water because it's the fish's normal. And so people in churches all over exists in a fake form of Christianity without even knowing it. It's just our normal. And we allow this to be the norm because it lets the rest of us off the hook to be excellent. It allows us to be mediocre. An example of this is people holding pastors to a different standard. And I know the Bible says like, we'll be judged more harshly as we teach, right? But there's a lot of people that teach. 
and we hold pastors to a different standard. There's nothing more humorous than me to walk into a restaurant with people sitting there with some beer on the table and people start scrambling. It's like, and like, I don't care. Right. I mean, look, it's fine. Like if you want to drink a beer, drink a beer. But there's this expectation or I'll be somewhere and, and somebody will be about to say something. They were like, hang on preacher. Now cover your ears. I got to say this. What? But you know what happens is if we say, look, they're above us and we can elevate them above us, then it relieves some of the pressure off of me to have to live to the same standard. Take some heat off of me. Oh, well, I mean, I ain't, you know, I ain't a preacher. No, but you are a child of God. The spirit of God lives in you. Why would you settle for mediocre? The Levites, they should have been excited about this, pumped about this. The people, if you notice, the people gladly brought their stuff. But you know what they did? They went back home and then they worshiped in ways that God didn't intend for them to worship. We've got to resist this, guys. There's more. There is more. There is more for God's people. There is more glory for God in the earth, but we have to resist this mediocrity and not just go along with this fake religion and system. Understand this, listen, man, it's like, it's like going and playing um, a team that's not very good and you go on the field and then this team, maybe you're way more talented, but, but you go and you play and you play down to their level. Don't play down to anyone's level. Listen, let's keep pressing forward for the goal, for the prize to which Christ has called us. If you keep going, it says there in verse 12, the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and also workers in irons and bronze to repair the temple. Now listen to this. It says the men in charge of the work were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. We need to be a diligent church. We need to be a diligent church. Diligent means to do it with care, conscientiousness. But this Hebrew word goes even beyond that. It means to press and squeeze. You know what it makes me think about? It makes me think about us squeezing every ounce of potential for which God has given us out of this so that the greatest impact is made. Not to settle, not to stop short. We need to be a, a church that we put our hand to the plow and we don't look back, but we keep plowing in the strength that God has given us. See, when we are saved, we literally enter into a new existence. We literally enter into a new family. We literally enter into a new purpose. You weren't just saved from hell. You were saved to be a part of bringing heaven to earth. Our purpose is greater than just getting to heaven. Our salvation came with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation came with a life change. Our salvation came with freedom from guilt and, and sin. And God has done all of this so that we can be a church that accomplishes the purpose that he has for us. Let me tell you what fake religion tells the average person. Fake religion says this. It says, sit down, shut up, and let the professional do the work. That's not Bible. That's not what the, the gospel, that's not what the word of God teaches us. God tells us through his word that, listen, we are being built into something. We are being built into a temple for his presence to dwell. 
We need to be a diligent church. If you look there at Chronicles 24, 13 and 14, the second part of 13, it says they rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. Verse 14, when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king and Jehoiada and with it were made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service and for the burnt offerings and also dishes and other objects of gold and silver. So now they're finishing the details. It says, as long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Here's this thing, and you've heard me talk about this and you will continue to hear me talk about this. We have to return to God's design. See, your position in the church is not to sit down, shut up and watch the professionals do ministry. Your, your call is to be a minister. Your call is to be a servant. Your call is to go. Your call is to share. Your call is to use your giftings in ways that, that bring people to Christ, that exalt Jesus and, and that glorify God. But we have to get back to God's design. You guys have, have heard me talk about this, a lot of you, this broken hammer. Would this broken hammer work? No, it doesn't work. If I put it back together this way, it's not going to work. Why? It's not the way it was designed. But we as the church often go back to our own design because honestly, it's just easier for the pros to do it, but it's not what God designed it to be. I keep this in my office, like literally, so I can see it to remind me, don't slip back into that old rut. We've got to keep pressing forward, equipping people. See, the first part of God's design that we have to understand and we have to see is that it is, God's design is for we to be greater than me. It's for us, the family, to do the work of God. It's for us, to be greater than them, right? It's not y'all and us, it's just us. And we are in this together to accomplish the purposes of God. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says that we used to be foreigners, but now we become citizens, citizens of this family, citizens of God's community, citizens of God's people. And he says, now we like living, so we're being built together into this temple that, that, that is filled with the spirit of God. He goes on and uh, Paul, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he's, he goes on and he goes into uh, chapter three and he begins to list out this incredible purpose for the church. And it is so incredible, in fact, that he realized it would be overwhelming to think it is even possible. But that's why he comes to Ephesians 3.20 and he says, now to him who was able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. He says, to him be glory in this church forever. Amen. And see, we need to reimagine the church according to God's word. We need to realize the purpose. Part of his design is that we are greater than me. Us is greater than them. Part of his design also is that you know him. You have no need for any other priest because Jesus Christ is your priest. He is the one who has gone between you and God and made a way for you to know him. See, as soon as Jehoiada died, some other people came in and began to influence Joash and he didn't have his own relationship with God. He turns his back on God and he begins to go his own way. If you go and read all the way through to the end, he ends up dying, it leads to destruction. The, the purpose of, of this is for us to know him. See, Jehoiada wasn't the savior. It's not for you to know him through me or anyone else. You have access to the throne of grace. You have access to the throne of unconditional love. You have access to the throne of unmerited favor. You have access to God's ability to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You have that access. And then we kind of go, well, what do I do with that? How does that, 
how does that work out? Like, I don't know where to start. Well, guess what? There's a great place for you to start tonight. If you don't know where to start, there's something happening at six o'clock here at the church. It's called group one. If you're not in a connect group, you, you, you say, look, I need a place to start. This is where you start. If you're not in a group, you don't have community. You're not involved in the family of God. Come tonight at six o'clock. This is your introduction into God's community here at Connection Church. Group one, real simple, come in, no pressure. It's gonna be great, but we wanna be able to introduce you to the family of God if you don't have that. Listen, I'm gonna be coach here, right? Some of you need to get back in community. Some of you need to get back in community. You've gotten out of community and, and you need to get back. So we weren't meant to do life alone. I'm not gonna let you leave without this, that the motivation for all of this, the motivation for refusing uh, fake religion, for not self-promoting, but always making it about Jesus. Our motivation is this, that no one can do for us what Jesus has done. Why would I exalt anybody else? Why would I exalt anybody else? Because no one else, I can't do for me what Jesus has done. You can't do for me what Jesus has done. Why would I exalt anyone else? This is our motivation. Last scripture, look at 2 Chronicles 17. It says, after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came, they paid homage to the king and he listened to them. Basically they come in, they, they bow, they pay homage, whatever they did, and they win him over. They get his ear. They abandoned the temple of the Lord. See, here's what's crazy. In, in those days, to neglect the temple of a deity was to neglect the deity himself. When they neglected the temple of God, they were neglecting God himself, literally turned away from God. The God, and they turn away from the God of their ancestors. They worshiped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. Although the Lord sent prophets, listen to this, listen to this. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against him, they would not listen. Then the spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehoiada. Notice that it's the priest's son, the priest who did so much for Joash, the priest who had done so much for the people there in Judah that they buried him with the kings in Jerusalem. This is his son, Zechariah. He stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's command? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord, he is forsaking you. But they plotted against him, they plotted against Zechariah. And by order of who? The king, Joash, who had been so blessed through Jehoiada, he ordered that Zechariah, his son, be stoned. So they stoned him to death and listen, in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness of Zechariah's father. Jehoiada had shown him, but killed his sons who said as he lay dying, may the Lord see this and call you to account. The first thing I thought of when I read that passage of scripture was I thought about the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 21, 33 through 42. And it's about a man who buys a vineyard and he gets it going, he rents it out to some people and he goes away. And then he sends some servants back to check things out and says that they disrespected his servants. They beat him, beat him and ran him off. And finally the owner of his vineyard, he says, look, if I send my son, Will they not respect him? And so he sends his son and they killed him. And they killed him. So you know what, to me, this passage in Second Chronicles is 
pointing us to, what that parable was pointing us to. It was, it was pointing us to Jesus. See, God sent prophets. He sent all of these things. And, and, and he, they were killed. They were stoned to death. They were put to death in different ways. And finally, he sends his son. Surely they will respect my son. Surely they will respect the word made flesh. Surely they will respect me. But what did they do? They killed him. And here's the part that gripped my heart this week as I read this. Think about the difference in Zechariah's last words and some of Jesus's last words. Zechariah said, may God see this and hold you to account. But what did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? See, that is our motivation. That is why we exalt Jesus. That's why it's all about Jesus. That's why we won't settle for fake religion. That's why we won't settle for self-promotion. Don't settle, let's keep pressing, let's keep going. Is it always easy? No, but is it worth it? Yes. Don't settle, you're gonna want more. You begin to press in and you begin to drink that living water and guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna want more. And don't settle because God deserves better. This God in the flesh who hung on the cross and instead of saying, Father, you see how they hurt me. You see how they treated your son. You see what they've done. May you see this God and hold them to account for every sin that they've done. No, no. He said, Father, forgive them because they are so deceived. They don't know what they are doing. See, to me, Joash is a picture of so much wasted potential. He's a picture of so much wasted potential. And I look at that and I don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be our lives because God has given us opportunity. He has called us. Listen, if you don't see this, then open your eyes. He has called us to be in this place for such a time as this. The world has never been in the place it is in right now. He has called us. We are blessed enough to live in this time. I, for one, believe the time is getting short. I believe it's getting short. And he chose for you and I to exist in this moment, to exalt his son so that many would come to faith. We need to squeeze every ounce of potential that there is in this. We need to grab hold of each other, just like God's grabbed hold of us and not let go. We need to walk with this mindset that come hell or high water, the church will prevail, so nothing is going to stop us. The time is short. Listen, I don't know if it's next month. I don't know if it's two months. It'd be fine for me if it's one o'clock. But the thing I can tell you is we are way closer today than we've ever been. What is your next step to engage in this? It's not about the works. It's about Jesus. It's the motivation of our heart that this God has given us life. The devil, I'll finish with this. The devil has been really lying to me lately. And telling me that my best days are behind me. telling me that I'm the weak link in all of this. Pointing to me and 
making me believe even that I'm a failure. And listen, I don't want to come up here and wallow every week, right? But this is what I am going to do. I'm going to be real. I'm not going to stand here and act like I've got it all together when I don't. And the enemy has been lying to me. But here's what I know. God is not done. God is not done. Don't settle. Don't settle. Let's go. Let's exalt him in everything we do. Father, I thank you this morning. Father, I pray you would encourage every person in here to take a next step closer to you. Whatever that is, Lord, if that be group one, if that's serving, if that's going into their workplace and starting a Bible, I don't know what it is, Lord, but would you lay that on their heart? I thank you that every person in here this morning who has faith in Christ, Lord, they have ears to hear. We know that they can hear because they heard the message and the spirit brought them to life through faith in Christ. Would you open our ears to hear? Give us a fresh taste, God, of your presence, a fresh taste of your spirit. God, we need you. We need your grace. We can't do this, God. We admit this. But God, we know you are the one who does exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. You do that through your church. God, I pray that we would be people who recommit, Lord, recommit that we put our hand to the plow, that we wouldn't look back, that we would go, Lord, we would go. And even when it's tired, we, when we're tired, we strengthen ourselves in you, God. Would you make us a gritty people who are willing to storm hell together to set captives free? We love you, Lord. We praise your name today the name of Jesus that is above every name, the name of Jesus that has all authority on heaven and on earth. God, we praise you, Lord, for that. Today, we acknowledge, Father, that you are on the throne and God, that Jesus is seated at his right hand. He has overcome the enemies. The prince of this age has been judged. And God, we thank you for that. Thank you for the power of your spirit working in us. Thank you that we are loved, that we cannot be taken from your hand. And God, infuse us with courage and boldness and power to be your church in this world. Let us shine like stars in the heavens that people would see the light of Christ and praise your name. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.